All right, thank you, Jason, for that. Um, welcome again to Citizens. Uh, as mentioned, my name is David, but people call me DC. Uh, I serve as part of the pastoral team. It's always a joy to be able to worship with our community and an honor for me to share God's word with us today. Uh, so last week, we launched our Advent series. Um, Advent simply means arrival or to come. It's when the church, uh, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we remember the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in human flesh. So it's an opportunity for us to celebrate, uh, but also to be filled with gratitude for what he did for us. But also it's a season of anticipation for the church because he not only comes once, but he promises to come back for us all. And so we're still tracking with our year-long series, Childlike Wonder, and tracking through the Jesus Storybook Bible. So last week, the correlating chapter was Operation No Tears, and Pastor Howard preached on the idea of seeing and tasting and experiencing relationship with God, because that's what the Christian faith is all about. So he preached from Isaiah 55. Today's title is He's Here, and we're going to take a look at Jesus' birth story. You know, waiting is something that, um, you know, we're all familiar with, whether it's L.A. traffic, waiting for your next break, uh, waiting for that next opportunity, maybe waiting uh, to find that significant someone, maybe to, uh, you're waiting to have kids, uh, waiting for your life to turn around for the better. We're all, we all know what it means to wait. And for a lot of us, we can't wait for the waiting to be over. You know, the reason why I, lo I love Advent so much is because it level sets our expectations. It helps us identify and locate where exactly we are in God's story of redemption. So Advent teaches us in one sense that the wait is over. Jesus Christ came to us in human flesh. He came to live a perfect life, and he died on that cross for you and me. He introduced and he established his kingdom. So the wait is over. But in another sense, we are still waiting. Because he said he's going to come back for all of us. And in his second coming, he's going to make all things new. A new heavens and a new earth. An eternal reality with no pain, no suffering, no sin. And so we're all waiting for that reality. You know, but the thought of eternity is so difficult for us to wrap our minds around so naturally what many of us do we live as if this is it we try and do our best to make this our permanent residence we work ourselves to exhaustion we accumulate as much as we possibly can gain as much status as we can and we try to squeeze everything we can from this one life that we have to live forgetting that there's another life that we're waiting for and so as Christians, we're living in this tension of what we call the already, but not yet. In the already, we are called to live with a faithful presence in this world, right? To fully enjoy all the blessings of the alreadys of the gospel, like forgiveness, mercy, freedom, grace. These are all accessible to us now, but at the same time, we are called to live with hopeful anticipation of the not yets of Jesus' promises. And there's a lot of not yets that we're still waiting for. 
So the Christian life isn't simply for us to wait around until we get to heaven, but rather living the life of heaven here and now, where we strive to embody the gospel blessings and promises in every space that we occupy. And what that looks like is that grace permeates through all our relationships. We practice radical generosity with our neighbors. We pursue peace and justice for those that are suffering. We advocate for the marginalized and the forgotten in our community, where we participate in the holistic care of all of those that join this church, citizens. We are endeavoring to live the life of heaven here and now. Why? Why is this our ambition? Why do we try and live this way? It's because that's how Jesus lived his earthly life. We see it from the very early beginnings. His beginning speaks volumes of who he, who he was on this earth. And at the same time, it instructs us of how we are to actually live on this earth. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 26 through 33. The translation I'll be reading from is the NIV. Uh, but it's going to be up on the screen for you guys to follow along. Let's give our full attention as I read God's holy word for us. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, Holy One, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Barrett answered. May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is God's word. Amen. Let me say a quick word of prayer for us. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Give us awareness of Jesus in our lives, that he is with us now. And Lord, may you comfort us uh, with this beautiful message of you coming to us in the form of a baby. God, we thank you so much for your love. We give this time to you. May you receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, you know, I've been uh, in a very introspective mood these days, and I think because I'm turning 40, uh, I am, I think, honestly going through some midlife stuff. I've uh, been in a bit of a funk. I feel bad for my wife because of that. Uh, but, you know, with this story and just reflecting back on my life, um, I realized that when, when we had our kids, there's such unique circumstances, events surrounding my family. I just kind of want to share with you a little bit of what those were. 
you know, the firstborn is always special, right? But Jane and I, we were still very early on in our marriage, um, in our careers as well. We were still trying to figure things out. We didn't know what we were doing, but we got pregnant and we had our son, Deacon. But soon after he turned one, uh, we ended up abruptly moving to Seattle. That's my hometown. Uh, and the events surrounding that wasn't pleasant. But we went up to Seattle. In Seattle, we had Devin. I was going through a career change, identity crisis. It was a very tar- dark time for me. Uh, it actually took us a while to get pregnant with Devin, but we did. We had Devin, and once again, very abruptly, not, not too long after Devin was born, we moved back down to SoCal, and I got back into full-time vocational ministry. Dylan, our third, um, she wasn't planned. Uh, she was God's plan, but not our plan. Uh, and Jane texted me the pregnancy result, the picture of it, an hour before I had to preach a sermon. And so she forgot that I was preaching that Sunday. And so she sent me, then I called her. I'm like, dude, don't joke with me. What is this? She's like, we're pregnant. And honest confession, I'm not proud of this. That was the first and last time I actually ever cussed before I had to go preach a sermon. Because I was so shocked and, and really like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And even after that sermon, my friend and boss at the time, he came to me. He's like, dude, were you angry when you were preaching that sermon? Like, anger wasn't an emotion that was called for for that sermon. But I was, like, flustered as I was preaching, you know, with the pregnancy result in the back of my mind. But anyways, um, she was our wild card. <laughs> wild card. Danny, our, our youngest daughter, uh, was our M&M baby. You know, if you had one shot, one last opportunity to seize the moment. You know, Jane's older than me, and so she's, you know, she's turning close to 40. And it's like, if we're going to have a fourth, this, this is the time, now or never. And that one shot worked. Sorry if that's TMI. But she was born during the pandemic. She was born during the pandemic, which was a pretty rough time. Uh, good and bad times. But those were the events surrounding all four of our kids' birth. You know, there are unique stories for all four of my kids, and they all contribute to the journey our family has been on and who we are as a family. So when we take a look at Mary and Joseph's story, man, it's so crazy and so wild. And, and there are so many re- recreations and romanticized version of what actually happened that fluffs it up. But if we take an honest look, it is absolutely absurd and crazy what Mary and Joseph had to go through. Right? It's both amazing and confusing. It's supernatural, but uncomfortably ordinary at times. It's miraculous, but at the same time, extremely scandalous. And it should have, it should have, us, uh, have us asking why. Why did Jesus come specifically in this way? Why would the Son of God come in this fashion? There's no red carpet. There's no grand entrance. You know, you would expect no controversy, smooth delivery, but we get none of that. Instead, we get obscurity, disappointment, drama, and constant struggle. But what we will see is that through each and every one of these things, there's good reason for it. Each element of Jesus' birth story points to a profound reality what type of life Jesus will live, and actually what type of life we're called to live as well. 
So I want us to look at the manner in which he came. Secondly, the message behind that. And then the meaning for us. The manner, the message, and meaning. First, the manner in which he came. You know, God in his infinite wisdom could have chosen any way for his divine son to enter the world. He could have beamed him down to the Holy of Holies in the temple. He could have sent Angel Gabriel holding Jesus, right, and sent him down that way, but we get none of that. He chooses Mary, an ordinary virgin girl in an obscure town of Nazareth. Why? You know, Angel, so Angel Gabriel brings her the life-shattering news. Verse 31 again. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. See, Mary was betrothed, not just to anyone, but to Joseph, who was a descendant of the greatest king, King David. And this was huge news, front-page news in a town like Nazareth. And it was a great honor for Mary to be betrothed to Joseph. And so betrothals were a little bit more intense than the engagements that we know today, right? Um, Betrothals were as if they were married. So uh, a divorce certificate would be required to break off a betrothal. And so the fact that she was a virgin... And the news and even the appearance of pregnancy would have stirred up a lot of drama and even endangered Mary's life. Because unfaithfulness at this time was punishable by stoning to death. Her life was in danger because of this news that she received. Now why go through all this trouble? Why put Mary and Joseph in such a precarious position? Why was this necessary? And so to answer this, we have to go back to the very beginning. You know, Adam and Eve were created by God and for God in God's very image. He gave them creative abilities, agency, authority, and more. And so humankind was designed for relationship and for us to represent God to the world. But both Relationship and representation was damaged when they ate that forbidden fruit. The image of God within man and woman would now forever be marred and damaged. Relationship would be fractured and chaos would enter the world. And from that point on, sin would mark everything and everyone. And so when God laid out all the consequences of sin... To all the parties, this is what he had to say to the serpent, to Satan, who tempted Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. See, Satan's plan was to ruin God's creation by attacking God's glory, by attacking the image. Right? That was within man and woman. And he succeeded. But we also see the genius and the grace of God. He doesn't abandon his creation altogether, but he actually chooses to use creation to redeem that which sin had stolen. 
the offspring of the woman will crush Satan. However, this human cannot come in the same fashion as we've come into the world. And so to break the pattern of sin, he would have to be born completely differently. He would have to be born of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get the idea conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so this is both a miracle and a mystery. We can't wrap our minds around this. The eternally existing divine son would take on human flesh and enter the world as an infant. And so Jesus would be both fully divine but also fully human. Right? This is the miracle of Advent. And so Jesus' human nature, what it does, it dignifies the image that we all possess, the image of God. But his divine nature would be necessary to restore what sin had broken. Because he will live a perfect life. And he will go to that cross on your, 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 in your place and in my place to pay for the penalty of sin. That's why that divine nature is so important because he had to be the perfect sacrifice. And this is why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about Jesus, he calls him the second Adam. The second and better Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. And so the incarnation, the idea of the divinity taking on humanity was necessary for the mission that God had to reconcile us to himself. So secondly, what is the message behind the nature of his arrival? You know, because we've heard this story, of, if you grew up in the church, you heard this story so many times, we forget how subversive and how controversial the story actually is with all the people and all the events surrounding it. It challenges the very understanding that we have of this world and how it operates. Right? The fact that God's son doesn't come into the world bearing a sword, but actually being wrapped in swaddling cloth, not in a palace, but in a dingy stable, not on a throne, but being placed in a feeding trough, shares with us who God is, because Jesus is God, right? The very representation of God, he's coming to us, he's saying this is who God is, and also tells us what his kingdom is like. Think about that. You know, this past week, I got my first ever root canal, right? It's like my body's 40th gift to me, signaling that I'm getting old, and I absolutely dread uh, the dentist. Um, and it doesn't help that I've heard horror stories uh, of root canals. And so I was already tense going to the, the endo's office. Um, and as I was sitting there, my hands were literally like sweating so much. And so then I got called in to the endo, or into the, the place where they seat you. And so I'm sitting, waiting for the doctor to come in, and the doctor comes in. And he immediately starts talking, like speaking to me in Korean. And I was like, how does he know I'm Korean? Because my last name is Chong, right? So a lot of people think I'm, I'm Chinese because of my last name. How does he know that I'm Korean? So he starts busting out Korean. And, uh, I, you know, I kind of get flustered because my Korean is not that great. So I, I try and keep up with what he's saying. And like, you know, nah, nah, nah. And then he realized that I don't speak Korean. So he switches to English. And then he looks at my x-rays and he's like, um, 
do you have a stressful job? Um, what do you do for work? And I was like, oh, sh- dang it, you know, this conversation again. And so I, I reluctantly told him, like, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, you know, makes sense. Because the problem with my, with, with my teeth is I clench when I sleep. And so the clenching actually damaged my nerves, and actually my nerves were completely dead. And then he's like, oh, you know, what church do you serve at? I'm like, oh, you know, I, I, I serve at a church called Citizen. And he just, like, keeps going off. He's like, oh, man, I've been looking for a new church. And, um, you know, I was going to this one church. But, dude, like, can you tell me a little bit more about your church? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should come and totally visit. And after that small talk, he looks at me. He's like, Pastor, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. And without realizing, my whole, like, body just relaxed. And he took such good care of me. I didn't feel anything. And he was so, so good to me, right? So if you guys need an endo, like a wreck, <laughs> let me know. It's amazing how a few, like, connections that we make can just alleviate fear and anxiety. You know, this small talk that I had with this endo was amazing. It relaxed me. You know, Jesus, who is God, comes to us in the most vulnerable way. He comes as a baby who needed to be fed, who needed to be changed, needed to be burped and comforted. God is saying, I'm not going to only make myself available to you. I'm going to immerse myself in the very realities of your life and my life the full experience of what it means to be human. If anyone understands, Jesus understands. He understands what it means to be in need. He understands what it means to be lonely, what it is to thirst, to be hungry, to be tempted, and to be betrayed by his friends. Jesus is familiar with every part of our existence. This is what Advent means. Jesus' birth narrative is side by side with another, Zachariah, a priest of the temple, and his wife Elizabeth. They received news around the same time, like six months before, that they too will be with child. But like Abram and Sarai in the Old Testament, they were way past the age of conceiving. And so this was a miracle. So the angel Gabriel goes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a child. How does Zechariah respond? He doesn't believe. He disbelieves. And what happens? He's unable to speak until John, his son, was born as a form of discipline by God. Which is really puzzling. Like, You would think a man of faith who works in the temple would believe. One with influence, who had power and position to actually believe. But no, that's not the case. He disbelieves. But yet a young teenage girl of low status, with no influence, believes and trusts in God. And even the announcement of the Messiah to come is not given to those who who had position and power. Angels go to shepherds, the low class, the ritually unclean, people that weren't able to go to the temple because of their occupation, and they're given the news of Jesus Christ. What's going on? 
God's kingdom is not what you expect. God's kingdom is actually inverted. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not for the wealthy. It's not for the powerful. It's not for the successful in which the kingdom belongs to, but rather to the poor, the powerless, the forgotten. You know, one of Jesus', I mean, Jesus very first sermon, he, talked to, he taught about the qualities of those who belong to his kingdom. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. And that should be very weird. These are the people who get in. These are the people who, who are kingdom people. See, Jesus did come for everyone. He came for everybody. But not all would receive him. Because some were convinced that they did not need him. They were confident in their own righteousness. They were confident in their own religion. They were confident in their resume, their accolades, and say, ah, yeah, look at me, I'm good. You know, living in a city like L.A. with the type of community that we are, there's challenges to Advent. Because in order to receive and to enjoy the true gift that Christmas has to offer you and me, it requires one thing need we need to be needy in order to fully enjoy what Advent has to offer and this is why sometimes I believe that failure disappointment struggle and pain is often necessary because when we have nowhere else to run no one else to turn to when we've exhausted every possible solution on our own what do we do then we turn to God we turn to Jesus. Jesus' hum humble condescension tells us so much of who our God is, what his kingdom is like, and the life that you and I were called to live. So this brings us to our last. What does it mean for you and me today? You know, you will think that after the life-shattering news that God would pave a smooth path for them to have Jesus and it would just be really fun and everything will be just happy-go-lucky but that's not the case they have to travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem King David's birthplace because there was a census Caesar Augustus had this new tax law so they had to travel 70 miles in Mary's third trimester right to Jerusalem and when they get there what happens there's no place for them nothing for them so they have to check into a stable and have Jesus surrounded by animals and placed in a feeding trough. Not only that, they get news that Herod, being threatened by this Messiah, decrees that all the kids under the age of two to be killed off. So now they're political refugees, right? And they flee to Egypt. And they spend a good amount of time there. And then they come back. Like, imagine this. This is your first experience as first-time parents. Think about, we're not given the details of what they do in Egypt, but they're in a different place. Probably had to find work, learn a you know, new culture. They had to do whatever to survive. And I'm like thinking this whole time, like this is what it means to be favored? Like, no thank you. I'll pass on that. The angel says, oh, favored one. I'm like, this, how is this a favored life? All the struggle, all the challenges, all the transitions. 
I thought if I have faith that my life would turn for the better. You know, I even came to L.A. trusting in God. But then all the doors that I was seeking after, they're not opening for me. Now, I just started come back, coming back to church with my family. But why is my home life and my work life so challenging? I'm pleading to God day after day for the same thing, but I'm not getting any answers. What is going on? You know, when many of us, we think about the favorite life or the good life, I think most of our minds, we, where, we, where we go is outcomes and results, naturally. But when we look at the favorite life of Mary, that's not what we see, actually. What we see is abiding presence. Jesus literally with them through all that they had to go through. See, what Advent offers you and me is actually better than a problem-free life because actually there's no such thing. As long as we're living in this broken world, as long as we're within these bodies, the Bible actually guarantees that we'll face troubles of various kinds. So Advent is not about being problem-free. Advent offers us unfailing love the permanent presence of Jesus in your life, no matter what. It's through presence that Mary and Joseph were sustained. It was through presence they persevered. And it's in his presence that allows us to endure and wait. Because in his presence, we have an unwavering love, an abundance of grace, and new mercies each and every day. See, the Christian life is not about how strong of a grip we have on Jesus, but realizing and being comforted by how he has a firm grip on our lives. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. You know, the beginning doesn't always indicate the end. But for Jesus, that was the case. He entered the world in obscurity, and even his earthly life ended in obscurity. He was placed in a feeding trough as an infant. 33 years later, he'll be placed on a cross to be crucified. He came from humble beginnings with nothing and he continued to live his life in humility and humiliation, getting down to wash the feet of his friends, to serve the poor, to be with the forgotten, to love on those who were unlovable. And although he had all the abilities and the privileges of being God, he laid all of that aside so he can ultimately die for our sins. Jesus entered into our existence to ultimately die for you and me so that we can be reconciled back to the Father. This is the wonder and awe of Christmas. But one last meaning of Advent, there is an invitation and a call to missions because of Advent. Our faith unites us to Jesus Christ. His mission now becomes my mission. What that means is that 
We are called to mediate the presence of Christ to others. There is someone in your life that needs hope. There's someone in your life that has little, maybe unseen or kind of pushed to the side. They're not in your life by accident. Advent calls us now to mediate that same presence to those that have need. You know, the holiday season can be so hard. I, I feel it too. It's like sprinkling salt on all the open wounds in our lives. It magnifies lack, right? It creates hyper-awareness of the messiness of our lives. But once again, I don't know if that's a bad thing. Because Advent doesn't happen when things are going well. The Advent of Jesus didn't happen when Mary and Joseph have everything figured out. Advent happens in the mess of our lives. Jesus meets us in our brokenness. He comes to us when we're a mess. And that's the hope that we have. Because not only does he, is he with us, he understands us in the deepest ways. Jesus comes to us while we're still in our sins. He didn't wait until we reformed. He came to us while we're still in our sins. He comes to us while we're still fumbling with the mess of our lives. This is the good news. This is the grace that we need. The abiding presence of Jesus no matter what we're going through. And so I want to leave you with this Advent encouragement from Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16. This is what the author says. Therefore, since we have a high, great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, sisters, are you waiting? Are you sick and tired of waiting? Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm accessible. By faith, you have entrance to the throne room of grace. It's just a matter of us taking that step towards him. You know, because of the Holy Spirit, the spirit, very spirit of Jesus lives within us. And I know that's what we need more than anything especially in this season. The Christian hope isn't wishful thinking, but substantiated on the cross where he forgave our sins and substantiated in an empty tomb, guaranteeing that he's going to come back for us one day. He is alive and well. So church, may we remember who Jesus is. May we remember what hope we have in Advent. And may we endure and persevere and even be filled with joy as we wait in this life. Let's pray. You know, I just want to give you a moment. Um, if you're in a season of just prolonged waiting and you're just exhausted and tired, there's something that you're striving for or reaching for, trying to grab a hold of, and it's just not happening for you, and you need a fresh reminder that God's presence, that Jesus is with you right now, I just want to invite you to pray to God and invite the Holy Spirit into 
just this space into your life and ask, ask Jesus, please help me to be aware that you are with me. Because the fact is he is. And it's just a matter of us acknowledging and being aware that he is actually in our lives. But we need help sometimes to have that awareness. So if that's you, I want to give you a moment just to pray that. God, help me to be aware that you are with me, that you haven't given up on me, that you haven't left me. So if that's you, just want to give you a moment to pray that. And after a while, I'll close this in prayer. So let's pray together at this time. God, we thank you so much for just this crazy story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of your son, Jesus. God, we need uh, hope. I don't know we have it in you, but we need an awareness and a deeper confidence um, in your love for us, in your abiding presence in our lives. Uh, we acknowledge that this world is so broken. Our lives are so broken. We're a mess. And um, we need a fresh reminder that you love us through it all, that you're with us through it all. So God, I, I pray uh, that in this season that um, you remind us of your love for us. Thank you so much for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. Also, I ask that you'll help us, Lord, as a church to be on mission together, knowing that Advent also means that there are those around us that need grace, that need love, that need to experience your generosity. And so help us, Lord, to boldly uh, serve others and love others as you have loved and served us. God, we thank you so much for the Christmas story. Be with us, Lord. Uh, as a church, help us to be more and more like Christ. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.